Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions all apply. See website for details. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Bonus pod after a brutal Celtics loss in game two to the Miami Heat. They're, of course, now down two games to nothing. They drop both games of the series at home. Every other team in the postseason that is remaining is undefeated at home. The Celtics are now this postseason four and five at the Garden. I don't even know where to start with this one because it was a complete debacle. If you're like me, and maybe I'm a sucker for believing this, I thought the Celtics were going to win the game. I thought they were going to win prior to the game, and the way things were going in the third quarter, I thought the Celtics were going to win the game, but I'm not buying into them anymore. Like, I can't trust them. Nobody can trust them with everything that transpires in each and every one of these games. And I really did think that I was going to come on here tonight. And we were going to be talking about another great Jason Tatum game. Now, he had some bad turnovers late. I acknowledge that. But the dude carried the team. 34-13-8. He was tremendous. You should not lose when your best player plays like that. And he was destroying the Heat defense. More on that in a little bit. But this one is just so difficult to stomach. And look, the players need to be better. And we'll get into some of them in particular. But you have an elite coach on the other side that is helping his team. And I hate to say it because I hope that Joe Missoula eventually is a good coach. But right now, in this series, and going back to moments in the Philly series, I really do hate to say this, but it feels like he's been a liability. There's just no way around it. That's the only word I can come up with. He's hurt the team at times. How many times this postseason have we talked about coaching issues? It just keeps happening. And let me run some of the through some of the stuff that happened in this game too. So first of all, he played Grant Williams 26 minutes. And I'll get into the Grant-Jimmy Butler thing in just a little bit, the back and forth there. But think about how clueless you are. As a coach, if in the first game of the series, 
you didn't play Grant Williams. And in game two, he was good enough to play 26 minutes. You played Peyton Pritchard over him in game one. You played him 12 minutes. Now in this game, you're playing Grant Williams 26 minutes. How did anybody, right, especially a head coach of a basketball team that's playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, think that Peyton Pritchard was going to be a better answer in game one than Grant Williams? And to the point that the way they've treated Grant Williams all season long, where he's getting like no burn, he's out of the rotation at times, he plays 26 minutes in a huge game, and you didn't play him in game one, it's just perplexing to me. It really just feels like he's trying shit in the postseason, like he's just doing all these different experiments when during the regular season, you should have been trying this stuff out. And he's just trying it on the fly. Like the fact that Grant Williams was put on ice against the Sixers at the end of that series, he doesn't play in game one. Now you're back to him. I, I don't understand it. It's unbelievable to me. It really is. All right. So let me run through a couple of examples of what happened in game two that make me think and make me say, I don't want to say it, but he's a liability. I don't want to say the coach is a liability. I want the coach to be a strength of the team. But right now, I don't know what else to say about him. He looks clueless out there. Okay, so, and I'm going to be fair to Joe Missoula. He made a good move to begin the second quarter. He decided, okay, I know Jimmy Butler is getting his rest, so let me leave Jason Tatum on the court to begin the second quarter. And the Heat go zone, and they tend to do this, and the zone is a whole different thing, but they go to the zone when Jimmy Butler's out of the game. Every time he's out of the game, they go to the zone. So he keeps Tatum on the floor. What happens? They go on an 8-0 run to the Celtics. They blitz Tatum, he finds Grant Williams for a wide open three, and then he goes right through Gabe Vincent for a lab. Great stuff. Keeping Tatum on the floor because you realize you know what their subs patterns are. You know when Jimmy Butler's coming off the court, so you throw a curveball. Nice move by Joe Mazzula. Okay, so then you're taking Tatum out of the game to get his rest. You know they're in zone, and you know they're going to stay in zone, especially when Jason Tatum comes off the court because the Celtics are much easier to defend, as we're finding out in the series, When Tatum's off the court. So you put Jalen back in the game. Here is the lineup in the second quarter with Tatum off the floor. And remember, the Heat are in a zone. Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Grant Williams. No Smart and no Al Horford. Okay, so what happens is they go do the Heat when Tatum's off the floor. They go on a 12-2 run. So all of a sudden, it's now 42-42. You got to call a timeout. Al Horford didn't come back in during that run until it was 42-40. Marcus Smart came in a little bit prior to that. But this is where I just look at it and I say the coach is clueless. You can't play against a zone with your three best passers being on the bench. Marcus Smart is the second best passer on the team. Al Horford is the third best passer on the team. And Al had his own issues tonight. I'm going to get into those in greater detail in just a little bit because he has been absolutely horrible in this postseason. There's no way around it. But anyway, my point being against a zone, you want your good passers on the court. Jalen is not a good passer. He does not see the floor well. Jalen is now 52 assists, 51 turnovers in the postseason. This is what he is. He's basically one-to-one assist to turnover guy. Malcolm Brogdon, not a great passer. He tends to get blinders on. And look, Derek White is fine as a passer. Robert Williams can do some things on the short roll, as we saw with Jason Tatum tonight. Grant Williams, not a passer. You don't want him creating offense, right? Marcus Smart and Al Horford have to be on the floor. I, I don't understand how a guy coaching in an NBA game in game two of the Eastern Conference Finals knows that the zone is there. He knows that the zone is there when Tatum's on the court. He knows they're definitely going to stay in the zone when Tatum comes off the court. How do you not immediately put Marcus Smart and Al Horford on the floor, have two of your 
three best passers, at least on the floor. I get giving Tatum a break. Like, he's not going to play 48 minutes. I totally understand that. But why are your two other best passers not on the fucking floor? That shit should not be tolerated. That is unacceptable. I just, I can't fathom. And it, this isn't me second guessing. I tweeted, where is Marcus Smart? Tatum's come out of the game. Where is Smart? It made no sense. This isn't second guessing. This is something I said in real time. And I'm sure a lot of you thought the same thing, right? It's unbelievable. It's brutal coaching. It's coaching malpractice. All right. Then the third quarter comes around. Joe Missoula, and like I said, I'm being fair with Missoula. He made a good decision. He said, you know what, we got to play faster. So he put Derek White onto the court. He didn't start Robert Williams in the third quarter. Okay, fine. They win the third quarter 33-21, to and Derek White was part of that. Early in that third, he made some really nice plays, had the block at Jimmy Butler at the rim. He looked really good. Nice move by Joe. Okay, but what also happened there, Robert Williams and Jason Tatum, that was the offense. That is why the Celtics won 33 to 21, because when Rob came back on the court, and like I said, you needed sort of that boost of energy to begin the third. Nice move by Joe. But Robert Williams and Jason Tatum together destroy the Heat defense in that third quarter, whether it was man and it was mainly zone. They destroyed it with a high pick and roll. Tatum had 15 in the third and Rob had some really nice plays. Great catch on the roll where Tatum, it wasn't the most accurate pass, but Rob caught it, got to the free throw line. Remember that made it 76, 68. Then he had an and one off a of Tatum roll, made it 86-75. The Heat had no answer for it. No answer for that whatsoever. Even if you go to the start of the fourth, Rob got another nice pass from Jason Tatum. Okay, so this is your best offense in the entire game. Everybody watching could realize this. This is the same thing the Celtics did. Now, they did it with different guys, but the high pick and roll. That's where the Celtics were successful in game seven, and it took Joe forever to get to that against the Philadelphia 76ers. It was working against the Heat, and it didn't matter if it was man or zone. So this is something that you found in the game. And this is something that, and I tweeted at the time, spam this. Keep going to this. The high pick and roll with Tatum and Rob Williams. Keep going to it. And the Celtics, they did, to their credit, keep going to it. But then what happens? Okay. Rob comes out of the game with seven minutes and 41 seconds left in the fourth quarter. As I just alluded to, he was your second most important player in the game. Anybody watching. Anybody watching the game tonight could realize, holy shit, Rob's having a massive impact. The high pick and roll, him and Tatum have it going on. Rob was incredible in this game. Some of the finishes he had, I'm like, where did that come from? Rob, in some of the passes he had out of the short roll, really, really good stuff. He doesn't come back into the game until there's 49.1 seconds left when the Celtics are down 105-102. And here's the thing. He didn't even come back into the game for offense. He came back in for defense. The Celtics during that stretch from 741 to 49.1 seconds left in the game with Robert Williams on the bench, they scored nine points. So for seven minutes, you scored nine points. And the guy that was the second most responsible, if you will, for the run the Celtics went on in the third quarter, and the guy that was the second most responsible for how the Celtics destroyed the Heat's defense was sitting on the fucking bench. Somebody has got to explain that to me. Why is Robert Williams sitting out basically after he came out in the fourth quarter? Why did he sit the rest of the game? That's something where you have to read the situation. This is working. High pick and roll. Jason Tatum, Robert Williams. Why does Al Horford have to play all those minutes down the stretch, especially considering Al has been bad for the majority of the postseason? Okay, he's not giving you anything from an offensive perspective. This is one of the best games I've seen Rob play in terms of the totality. He was good defensively. He was good offensively. He was finishing at the cup. He was making plays as the short roller. Put him back in the game. I don't understand it. 
I don't, I can't fathom how anybody watching that game tonight thought that it was a good idea to keep Robert Williams on the bench until it's 105, 102. How? How, how do you, how are you sitting there coaching a game and you don't put Robert Williams back in? It is mind numbing. I just, I can't get over it. And this is why I, this is why I don't want to say that the coach is a liability, but how can I deny that right now? The coach is a liability right now. How could you not see that? And how did somebody on the bench not tell him? Like, this is coming back to the whole idea. Where's the experiment, the experience, rather, on the bench, right? Damon Stoudemire is gone. Who's the guy that tells Joe, hey, Joe, um, you know, the high pick and roll with Rob, it's really working. Maybe, you know, we're kind of in a rut now. Maybe we should get him back in. Yes, get him back on the floor. I don't understand it. And by the way, what happens with Al late in this game? 103-100, can't get a rebound. Bam gets it. Offensive rebound. Then right after that, after they miss another shot, Bam goes around Al, gets the rebound, puts it back in, makes it 105-100. Al wasn't good. Twice he was beat for a rebound. Rob's a better rebounder than Al, and he was more valuable offensively today. And this is not supposed to be a whole indictment on Al, but Rob was the better player. Rob was the more impactful player in the game today. You don't have to close with Al Horford. Nothing says you have to close with Al Horford. There's nothing in the rule book that says that. What this feels like to me is sort of, and Smart should be closing. I'm not saying Smart shouldn't be closing. But remember we had those conversations during the regular season where it's like, ah, why is Marcus Smart closing this game? Derek White's been better, right? Like we had those conversations throughout the years. This is kind of what this felt like to me. It's very obvious to anybody watching the game. If you had your friend watching the game with you who's never watched basketball before and you said, hey, who's better, this guy or that guy? They would say Robert Williams. It was undeniable that Rob was better in the game. And for some inexplicable reason... Joe Mazzullo took the club out of his own bag. I, I don't know why you would take that club out of the bag. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I cannot comprehend it. I don't know what the logic was of not playing Rob down the stretch when he had been so effective and your best play involved Rob. Why would you take away your best play? That was your best play and you took it away and you decided to put Al on the court. It just made no sense to me whatsoever. And another thing I would get to is just, I don't know what the fuck they're doing defensively in the fourth quarter. You have Grant Williams one-on-one with Jimmy Butler, okay? And the whole side of the floor is open. You're emptying. They're emptying that side of the floor. Like, this is so easy for Jimmy Butler. He's going one-on-one with Grant Williams. Okay, first of all, I don't know why Grant Williams is on him late. Like, if it's a switching situation, fight through it. But secondarily, and this isn't even really about Grant, I don't understand why you don't switch up the coverage at all with Jimmy Butler. Look on the other side, all the stuff that Tatum's going through, right? Hey, he's getting blitzed. Hey, they're forcing him this way. Hey, they're doing this. They're throwing out zone. They're mixing up all their coverages with Jason Tatum. And to Tatum's credit, he's been really good in the series. More on that in a little bit. But why aren't you mixing anything up with Jimmy Butler? You're just giving him very easy reads. Oh, I'm one-on-one with Grant. I'm going to go score. It's very simplistic for Jimmy Butler to score. So I don't understand why you're not trying to get the ball out of this guy's hands. Like, I understand some of these guys can heat up from the heat. But wouldn't you rather at some point blitz Jimmy Butler, get the ball out of his hands? It just seems like it's a very obvious thing. We look at it on the other side, and Eric Spolster's trying to do everything he can to contain Jason Tatum. And Tatum was still breaking the defense in the third quarter, and then Tatum's own coach decided, hey, the guy that's helping Tatum the most, I'm not going to play him. I mean, it was unfair to Jason Tatum what Joe Mazzulla did in the fourth quarter. If I'm Jason Tatum, I'd be irate after this game. Are you kidding me? Wait, hold on. We're not going to play Rob? Like, if I'm Tatum, and I know Tatum is not a very controversial person, I would have gone up to Joe Mazzulla and said, get him on the court. What are we doing here? This is working. Like, they're doing everything they can. 
I'm doing everything I can to try to win this game. Everything I can to try to win this game. And you're going to take Rob out of the game? Unbelievable to me. I don't know why I keep going back to the Rob thing, but you get my point. Do what they're doing to Jason Tatum on the other side. Mix coverages up against Jimmy Butler. And now I just, you know, I start to think about the Missoula thing. And you think about the resume. Glenville State Assistant, Fairmont State Assistant, Maine Red Claws Assistant, Fairmont State Head Coach, Celtics Assistant for two years, Celtics Head Coach. Right, like the Utah job was the only team that he interviewed for last year because of the Ainge connection. It's not like anybody around the league last season looked at Joe Mazzulla and said, hey, this is the next great young head coach. Hardy spent, and you look at Will Hardy, spent six years with the Spurs. Then he came here for a year. Then he got the Utah job. Joe spent two years under Brad and one with Ime, and now he has this job. This is not how the NBA works. And I understand that they were put in an incredibly difficult predicament here right? Because of the email stuff. But I come back to this. Could you have got a little bit more experience to go with Joe Mazzulla? Because it just seems like, how are they so slow to make these changes? They're just so slow to do it. And I understand that the organization, obviously, they're dealing with the whole email stuff. So it's tough, right? Like to find a coach at that particular point in time and bring somebody in from outside of the coaching staff, but if you're going to have a 34-year-old guy with no experience as a head coach in the NBA, very little head coaching experience in general, we're talking about a guy that has only been a head coach at the Division II level, and he wasn't even really one of the main assistants last year, right? Hardy was the main assistant. Damon Stoudemire felt like had a bigger role last year than Joe Mazzulla, who we've said multiple times on this show, was sitting behind the bench, right? So when you look at it from that perspective, you would think, hey, we need a veteran here. This is something we've talked about throughout the season. It just feels like they don't have that guy on the staff that can really help out Joe Mazzulla. And it's unfortunate because it's a very, very smart front office. Celtics have a great front office, but it just feels like the coaching advantage or disadvantage has really hurt them throughout this postseason run. I don't think that's unfair to say. I mean, and I hate to do it, right? Like, I don't want to be the guy that's always talking about the coach. I don't want to be that guy. But it's sitting there and you're looking at it it's looking right back at you in the face like this is the difference in the series right now is the coach hasn't been good enough. And you think about the other guys in the conference finals, right? The other coaches here. And you look at a guy like, for example, Mike Malone who's coaching Denver right now. This is his resume. Oakland assistant, Providence assistant, Manhattan assistant, Knicks assistant, Cavs assistant, Hornets assistant, Warriors assistant, Kings head coach, Nuggets head coach. So before he became the Kings head coach, he spent almost two decades as an assistant in the NBA. How about Eric Spolstra? Two years as a player coach in Germany. Now he's an assistant player coach, but two years as a player assistant coach in Germany. Nine years with the Heat in different roles before he got the head coaching position. And remember, he's working under Pat Riley. Video coordinator to assistant coach slash video coordinator, assistant coach, advanced scout, director of scouting. All those different things. How about Darvin Ham of the Lakers? Of course, we know he played in the NBA. 08 to 10, he was an assistant with the Albuquerque Thunderbirds. Then he took over as the Thunderbirds head coach. Then he was an assistant with the Lakers for Mike Brown. Then he was the Hawks assistant or a Hawks assistant under Mike Budenholzer from 13 to 18. Then he was an assistant for Mike Budenholzer from 18 to 2022. So he spent 14 years as an assistant in the NBA. So we're talking about basically 20 years for Mike Malone. We're talking about nine years for Eric Spolstra, who is like a genius, right? And we're talking about 14 years for Darvin Ham, who also played in the league. Missoula was a three-year assistant in the NBA. 
So there is a reason we've seen these guys like the Derek Fishers of the world, the Steve Nashes of the world come in and they don't have success. Even Jason Kidd, his first couple of jobs, didn't have success whatsoever. And really, you could argue he had a bad year this year with Dallas. He had one good year with Dallas. That's pretty much it. And that's coaching Luka Doncic, right? So it's just very difficult. Like, there's a lot to ask of Joe Mazzulla, who's never been in these battles as a head coach, was not one of the main assistants last year. This is a team that just went to the NBA Finals, and it just feels like he has been put in an awfully difficult situation. And I think we can all agree, it just feels like right now, he's not ready for the moment. He's not ready to be a coach against Eric Spolster. You could argue at times he wasn't ready to coach against Doc Rivers. I don't think that's out of bounds to say that. I'm just trying to be fair with the situation. And think about this. If Ime was the coach, who do you think he'd be depending on more right now? Damon Stoudemire or Joe Mazzulla? Damon Stoudemire, right? So it just, it's unfortunate. You can go through all these things. After game two against Philly, right? When they win that game, he says, you're going to ask me about all the adjustments we made. Like that just... That shows a lack of maturity from the head coach that he's so upset that the media wanted him to make adjustments. He made an adjustment. So basically what you're telling us is the media was right, (laughs) that you needed to make adjustments. And then he wants to talk about it after the game. And then it took him until game six to go to the double big lineup against Philadelphia when it was obvious, like if you were going to play Rob, you had to start him because that's when PJ Tucker was on the court. How did it take you that long to get to that? Also, how did it take you so long to, we were referencing this earlier, Get to the high pick and roll with Jason Tatum, with Joel Embiid. Why did it take you to game seven to get to that, right? And after game five, he said, we had the intention to play hard. I I still don't know what that means. You intended to play hard, but you didn't play hard. The team wasn't ready to go. And then you think about what he said after game one of this series. We play harder than them in the first half, and they outplayed us for one quarter. So they played harder than you. I don't understand why he kept referencing the one quarter thing. Well, it doesn't matter if it's one quarter, if it's two quarters, they significantly outplayed you in that one quarter. That's what led to their win. And the decision, as we mentioned earlier, to go to Peyton Pritchard made no sense. And the whole idea of benching a key rotation guy from last year's playoff run throughout the regular season, why? This guy was a good player. And I get that we can look at it and say, hey, maybe he's not the same defender he was last year and all that different type of stuff with Grant Williams. He's a more valuable player for the Celtics in this series than Peyton Pritchard. That is abundantly clear. What is he trying to prove by playing Peyton Pritchard? It just didn't make any sense to me. And another thing I mentioned, and I mentioned this on our FanDuel TV show, the local angle this morning, is seven times this postseason, the Celtics have had a defensive rating north of 120, okay? The Spurs this past season were at 119.6, the worst defense in NBA history, seven times. So up until today, it was 50% of their playoff games. The Celtics had been worse than the worst defense in NBA history. How is that possible with the same personnel that was here last year? Because the defense is not the ethos of the team anymore, right? It happened once with Ime last year during that playoff run, by the way, when they played 24 games. But anyway, I would just ask you this, like this whole idea, if you think I'm being too hard on the coach. Do we think that that series against Philadelphia goes seven games if Ime or even Brad Stevens is the coach? Do we think that right now, if Mike Malone or Darvin Ham or Eric Spolster is coaching the Celtics, that they're in this predicament down 0-2 against the Miami Heat, and it took them seven games to dispose of the Philadelphia 76ers? That's what I would tell you. If you think I'm being too hard on the coach, ask yourself that question. So I think these conversations about the coach are fair. Yes, the players need to be better. I'll get into them in a second here. But the problem right now, or one of the problems right now, is the coach. Like if you were going to 
talk with your friend as you listen to this on Saturday morning, what would your conversation be? Hey, what's wrong with the team right now? Well, the coach. That's the first thing that's going to come to anybody's mind. And I don't think it's unfair. At times this season, I thought the criticism of Joe Missoula was unfair. Right now, I don't. I, I've given you a laundry list of things in terms of the problems that he's had throughout this postseason run. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, let's get to the grand thing, the dust up there with Jimmy Butler, where they go head to head. I had no problem with it. Like, do we really think that Jimmy Butler was going to go away and not score late in the game if Grant didn't get in his face? And by the way, he was playing one-on-one because they didn't show him any different coverages. So do we really think that Jimmy Butler, the guy that is like the most edgy in the entire NBA, the guy that is incredibly motivated, the guy that said, I thought we would be here, the guy last year that said, we're going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals, we're going to win this time, one of the most confident players in the NBA. Do we really think that if Grant didn't get in his face that he wouldn't have had this explosion? That's just the stupidest shit I've ever heard. I saw it all over social media tonight. Oh, Grant Williams, he poked the bear. Yeah, he poked the fucking bear. He, it's Jimmy Butler. Like, does Tom Brady need to be poked? No, he's going to go out there and he's going to rip you apart. Like, did Tom Brady need Richard Sherman to talk shit to him in the Super Bowl? No. Tom Brady's playing in the Super Bowl. Jimmy Butler is now two wins away at the time, three wins away from getting to the NBA Finals. Does he need to be poked? No. I had no issue with Grant Williams doing that whatsoever. And by the way, you know what I did have an issue with? Grant Williams gets in Jimmy Butler's face. Why aren't the other guys rallying behind that? Why aren't the guys fired up? Like, this is the best player on the other team. You got Grant Williams, who's finally, we've been asking for a player on the Celtics with edge. He's getting into it with everybody during this game. Come to the party with them, guys. Like, show him some support there. Like, the Celtics should be fired up when Grant Williams is doing that with Jimmy Butler. That's the type of stuff you rally around. We saw it with the Heat. They rally around Jimmy. And I'm not comparing the two players, obviously, in terms of their status in each locker room and that sort of stuff. But that's when you're supposed to rally behind your guys. So if anyone is blaming Grant, stop. Your anger is misplaced. It's Jimmy Butler, okay? And by the way, listen to the press conference that Grant Williams had after the game. Said, we have a decision to make. Are we going to play hard or not? That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear from the Celtics players. You can say, well, Grant's not supposed to be the guy saying that. I don't care. At least somebody's saying it. So I had no issue with Grant Williams, okay? It's not like he was, he's trying on Jimmy Butler. He got no help. Not many guys in the league can cover Jimmy Butler one-on-one. Grant's at least out there trying. They're giving him no help. It made no sense to me. All right, let's get to Al. So I mentioned the two rebounds he got beat on late. Inexcusable. He was a minus 15. Rob was a plus seven. Again, why was Rob not playing late? I'm not going back to that. But anyway, the reality is Al was one for five from the field and 0 of three from deep. Al is now 21 of 73 from deep, 28.8%. He's bricking everything. He was five of seven in one game this postseason from three. Five of seven in one game. So if you look at other than that one game against Philly, he's now 15 of 66, 22.7%. So besides that one good game, he's 22.7% from deep. This is what helped this offense be great during the regular season. Al was 44.6% from deep, second in the league behind only Luke Kennard. He's giving you nothing offensively. They don't respect him as a shooter. 
it's gotten to the point where teams don't care. They're going to let him shoot. And defensively, he's getting beat for rebounds late. So, and I know this is going to sound dramatic, but I would imagine they're going away from the double bigs because we didn't really see the double bigs in the second half of this game. They're going away from the double bigs. This next game, I would start Rob. Rob is better in the high pick and roll. Rob is playing with more energy right now. Rob is giving you a more dynamic presence offensively because, yeah, he can't shoot, but he's rolling to the basket. He's making plays as a passer. He's finishing at the rim. Rob right now is a better option than Al Horford. So if you are going away from the double bigs, and I know this is tough to do because it's Al Horford. He's the big vet on the team. He's the leader. I would start Robert Williams. I would not start Al Horford if that's the look they're going for. And I don't mind it. If they're going to go away from the double bigs, fine. You got to make changes. That's part of being an NBA head coach in the postseason. Steve Kerr did it all the time. Eric Spolster will make changes if he needs to. We see it all the time. Darvin Ham with the Lakers made changes, right? We see it every year. If you're going away from the double big, it should be Robert Williams. It should not. Should not be Al Horford. That's my two cents. And I know you said, well, well, can he handle Bam? Can Al fucking handle Bam? No. <laughs> I mean, like he can't handle Bam right now either. I don't, I don't think that's a big argument here, okay? And by the way, the way they're covering Bam, they don't care if he takes mid-rangers. They just, even though he's a good mid-range shooter, the Celtics plan is let him shoot mid-rangers. So, I mean, why would it be a difference if Robert Williams is out there? Maybe that's something they'll try to change too. But anyway, Jalen, outside of Missoula, this is the biggest issue right now in the series, okay? I don't know if it's a hand thing. And you could even argue this is a bigger issue than Missoula because if Jalen doesn't come to this series, the Celtics have no chance, okay? He was... And maybe it's the hand issue. We saw it in the last game. He was a game worst minus 24. Minus 24. He's second team all NBA. This was a close game. The Celtics had a chance to win this game late. Your second best player was a minus 24. He had 16 points on 24 shooting possessions. 7 of 23 from the floor. 30.4%. 1 of 7 from deep. Four bricks early in the game. Two over Vincent. One where he tried to go around Bam, missed that. Then he missed another layup over Vincent. He bricked a corner three in transition. He bricked a wing three. And then late in the game, critical plays late, 98-94, he travels. And it was a travel. He's complaining, but it was a travel. Then he got back cut by Duncan Robinson on the very next play. That made it 98-96. Then when it was 98-96 on the other end, he's blocked by Bam at the rim. So three consecutive plays, 98-94 travel. Back cut by Duncan Robinson, 98-96. Blocked at the rim by Bam, 98-96. And then late in the game, 103-100, wide open three, he misses it. He was horrible late in this game. There's no way around it. And the thing that aggravates you about Jalen in this series, he should be winning his matchup. He's getting covered by Gabe Vincent. Like, if you're Jalen Brown, you should almost take this as a sign of disrespect. He has three inches and 23 pounds on Gabe Vincent. You have to dominate that matchup. And they are selling out to stop Jason Tatum. The Heat are saying, we're good. Gabe Vincent, six feet, whatever he is, uh, six three, I should say. Hey, hey you got Jalen, man. You got Jalen. Okay, we're doing, we're sending doubles. We're blitzing. We're doing all this stuff with Tatum. Jalen, do your thing, man. And he can't win the matchup against Gabe Vincent. Unbelievable. He he's not winning the matchup against he should be disrespected and he's not one of the matchup whatsoever. Like this whole narrative. Oh, Tatum's not taking shots in the last two fourth quarters. Well, Jalen is now two of 13 from deep in the series tonight. He was four of 18 on shots outside the restricted area. That's 22.2%. You know, that little circle Jalen outside of that circle tonight was four of 18 horrible 22 points, 16 points. Not enough. 
and he's not a creator. We've been over this. Jalen's not a good passer, so he needs to be a scorer, and he's just not doing that. Tatum in the past two games, 34-13-8 in game two, 30-7 in game one. Tatum has 64 points in the series. Jalen has 38. Jalen has taken 44 shots. Think about that. He has 64 points on 44 shots. Tatum has taken 37 shots. So Tatum has 26 more points on seven fewer shots. Jalen has taken a grand total of four free throws in the series. He's 6'6", 225, being guarded by a guy that's 6'3", 200, and he's taken four free throws in the entire series. Get to the free throw line. I know he's got issues with free throws at times, but get to the lane, especially if you're not finishing. We're talking about right now, Jalen Brown, a guy that wants a Supermax contract. Let's go, man. Pick it up. Like Jason Tatum needs you right now. Tatum has been the good sign early on in the series. And I, I just, I don't understand the criticism of him. Not to, it was, I was watching the NBC Sports Boston postgame show. They're talking about, and even on the TNT broadcast, talking about Tatum not taking shots. When did you want him to take shots? He's getting double. By the way, he got to the free throw line, what, five times in the fourth quarter. He had three assists. He missed two threes. Like, unfortunately, he missed two threes. But I really, I don't understand the criticism of Tatum in this game. He's making the right plays. Now, the one play late, okay, yeah, he lost the ball twice. You can criticize him for that play. But he was making the right basketball plays. That's why I have a very difficult time criticizing Jason Tatum for like, oh, he didn't take a shot in the fourth quarter. Well, or he didn't score in the fourth, didn't have a field goal in the fourth quarter. What what was the field goal? Like, okay, he missed a couple of threes, but he made all the right plays. And I go through this game, he was so good. Early on, rejects the screen, layup 9-4. He gets doubled, finds Al, wide open three. Al, of course, misses it. Step back over Bam when he gets the mismatch. Then he finds White for a wide open three after he got into the lane. Layup after an offensive rebound. Offensive rebound, cuts, Rob finds him for a dunk. Three over Martin, step back. Okay, so in the first quarter, he's at 12 and two. Then he's blitzed because they got to switch up the coverage because he's destroying their defense. Finds White for a wide open three. Hard drive through Vincent at the basket. He gets doubled, finds White, 38-26 for a wide open three. And then that run happens where he goes out of the game. They get outscored 12 to two. Layup in transition. Hesitation finish makes it 61-60. Gets to the line, hits both. Gets Love, finishes around him. Fade away over Martin. Basically, they took Love off the court because Tatum was going after him. Fade away over Martin. Step back, loses Jimmy Butler. Gets to the line, hits two free throws. Finds Smart for an open three. 15 points in that third quarter. Fourth quarter, finds Rob on a roll. And one eighty-six. what's 86-85. Finds Jalen on a cut, makes it 91-82. Finds Grant for a dunk where he goes through the zone to make it 100-96. to Hit three free throws to make it 105-103. Jason Tatum has been really good in the series, okay? And I understand that you have some of the issues late in the games. Jason Tatum has been good. Your best player is not being helped by, A, the second best player on the team, Jalen Brown, and B, he's not being helped by the coach. Jimmy Butler is being helped by the coach, and he's being helped by a lot of role players. Caleb Martin coming off the bench and doing his thing. Kyle Lowry in game two had that incredible second quarter. Bam has been really good for Miami in this series. Where is the second best player in the Boston Celtics? Where is Jalen Brown? Where is the coach helping him out? If I'm Jason Tatum, I would be so irritated after this game at two people, the head coach, Joe Mazzulla and Jalen Brown. Not that you can be angry at Jalen, but like you got to be Jalen, come on, pick it up. And then with Mazzulla, I mean, if I'm Tatum and I know I alluded to that, I'm having a long conversation with Joe after this. Joe, where the fuck was Rob? Where was he late in this game? 
All right, we'll come back next. We'll take a call or two because I'm sure you guys are fired up after a difficult loss for the Seas. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back into Off the Pike after an excruciating loss for the Celtics. Let's get to a couple of your calls. The number is 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. All right, who's up first? Hey, Brian, this is Reed from St. Louis. Game two was an absolute nightmare to watch. Not only from the perspective of the Heat just coming back and just stepping on our throats and Jimmy Butler just big-bodying us and proven that he's just got more dog than anyone on this team. But, I mean, just in general sports, like, your two best players or your best players have to take command. And just the fact that our players are not getting shots in the fourth quarter, not even just, you know, usually we get bad quality shots and sometimes they go in and our talent bails us out. But I just can't believe the fact that our team's just this disorganized. We have no leadership. It doesn't even come down to stats or, you know, anything like that. Like, you know, a play here and there. We just got out toughed and we had no answers. We were just a mentally weaker team. It was like game four last year against the, the Warriors where they just out toughed us. They outsmarted us. They out experienced us. And our excuse now really is that we don't, we do have that experience. We've been in the conference final so many times. How can we not? execute and win at home. It's the most important thing in the playoffs is protecting home court. We have this advantage. Pretty much since Milwaukee got eliminated and we just have not taken advantage of anything. We are just so we are so stubborn in our approach. It's just constantly, let's push the pace. Let's shoot threes. We make three threes in a row and we think we can shoot threes for the rest of the game and win. That's not the case. We have to attack the basket. And our defense just does not lead to any offense. It's just constant offense. Our defensive identity is completely lost. I think, I don't want to say it's over, and I've told my friends that it's over, but I think it's over. All right, appreciate it. I I don't think it's over yet. I'm extremely worried about the series. I don't think it's over yet. I don't think the Heat are this juggernaut that you can't beat them twice in their building. And quite frankly, the Celtics are better on the road in the postseason than they are at home. They have been good when their backs are against the wall, especially Tatum. We saw it in game 
six last year in Milwaukee. Like this team can win big road games. We've seen that in the past. So I don't think the series is over. But to your point, it's not a toughness thing. And it's definitely not an experience thing because they have the experience. Now, the toughness part of it, I shouldn't say it's not a toughness thing. The toughness part, the thing that irritates me tonight is I thought Grant Williams brought the edge. I thought Grant Williams gave this team some fucking energy and some nastiness going back and forth with Jimmy Butler. I love that Grant actually did that. It just, you guys need to be supporting Grant Williams when that happens. Like that should be a rallying cry for the, t- for the team when Grant Williams comes on there. And I do wonder this too, like having Grant Williams sit out so much during the season, Grant's one of the most annoying guys in the NBA. He's so annoying. He annoyed Giannis last year. He annoyed Embiid when he got out on the court against them. He annoys everybody. That's a valuable thing. Having a guy that is an irritant. All these great teams in NBA history, like they have irritants. And I'm not comparing the player types, but like Draymond Green pisses everybody off, right? Kyle Lowry on the Heat pisses everybody off. Going back in the day, Dennis Rodman pisses everybody off. And like I said, I'm not putting like because Draymond's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Rodman's in the Hall of Fame, arguably the greatest rebound. Well, one of the greatest rebounders of all time. Great defensive player. And Lowry may make it to the Hall of Fame. Who knows? Everybody gets in the NBA Hall of Fame. But you need these type of guys. You need the guys that piss you off. And Grant Williams is that type of guy. So I do feel like maybe the team lost its edge in some sense with Grant Williams out of the rotation. It's just a weird thing. And I just, the whole thing about, I, I couldn't believe the reaction on social media to the Grant thing. Like people, oh, they woke up Jimmy. Like Reggie Miller's talking about it on the, bra- he poked the bear. By the way, I can't do any more Reggie in this. We're going to have to deal with this now. It's going to be a long series, I think. I believe the Celtics are going to win game three, but we're going to have to deal with Reggie Miller. This guy said in the game tonight where Eric Spolstra is mic'd up and Spolstra says, hey, we can't let them take threes. And Jalen Brown hits a layup and... Reggie Miller says, they're fine with that. That's a two. It's like, no, Reggie, he's not talking about layups and dunks. He's talking about like he wants him taking mid-range jump shots because he knows the Celtics can't win if they don't hit threes. He doesn't want them to give up layups. But anyway, I can't do that for the whole series. Sorry, I'm having like an out-of-body experience right now after (laughs) after this game. But the other thing I would say, too, just to your point, is the execution, some of that is on the players, obviously, but a lot of it's on the coach. The fact that Robert Williams isn't on the court until less than a minute left after he had been the second most important player all game, that's coaching malpractice. That it that to me is mind-numbing. This team is good enough to beat the Heat. They're way more talented than the Heat, and they're laying eggs right now. And the coach made a huge mistake in game one playing Peyton Pritchard. We saw the edge Grant Williams made. And tonight, he screws you over by not playing Robert Williams. All right, who's up next? Brian and David from Kentucky. Celtics fall. Game two at home to the Heat. Number one, uh, do we just need to burn the garden down? Is it is it cursed? Uh, it's it's it like the ghost of Kyrie's past <laughs> haunting it. Uh, I I don't know why we can't for for either team that plays there win a game that matters uh, in that building. Uh, it's embarrassing. Uh, but to um, my point, I, I don't I really don't understand the coaching. I don't I don't know what's happening. I don't understand why uh, Rob. Is, is not on the floor to close the game. Derek White plays a great game. We, I guess, throw him to the wayside as well. Um, Jalen is just nowhere to be found. And, and truthfully, this is something I would love some input on. Nobody's really talked about this that I've heard yet. Um, I, I don't know if we're just all holding our breath, but, man, Al looks washed. Uh, he's had, had one really great game in the playoffs. He's played good defense and been consistent on that end of the floor, uh, but but has, has just been a zero offensively. And even tonight was not great. Uh, on the defensive end, but man, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, cheer, like, 
impressed by the Heat. They they play hard. You, you got to respect them even if you hate them. And um, we'll we'll see see what happens here. Got to rally. But anyway, love the show. All right, thanks. All right, great stuff. And to the Al point, I mentioned it at the top, Barry. He's a problem. He's a problem, and. I know that they like the matchup on Bam, but if they're going to, like I said earlier, I would start Robert Williams and not start Al Horford in the next game if you go away from the double big. The other thing I would say about Al is he had some moments in the Philly series from a defensive perspective, of course. He had big moments against Embiid, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful what Al did for the team last year, but he hasn't been, he's giving you nothing offensively right now. You're right about that. He's giving you nothing offensively. I thought the one moment he could have given you something was against the zone in that second quarter. He And Joe Mazzulla, asleep at the wheel, didn't have smart or al on the court when of course tatum was on the bench but al's been a problem throughout the series jalen's the bigger problem though this is a second team all nba performer 22 points in one game and 16 points in this game and it just it felt like tonight early in the game something we don't ordinarily see from jalen like we see this from tatum at times is he was bitching at the officials very early in this game he just didn't seem like himself whatsoever he didn't have that typical Jalen Brown energy that you have in the first quarter. He's one of the best first quarter scorers in the NBA over the past two seasons. You just really haven't felt his presence. And it's really perplexing to me because they don't really have a good answer for Jalen Brown. I really felt like Jalen Brown was going to have a massive series based on the fact that I thought that Jimmy Butler would get the lion's share of the minutes on Jason Tatum, which he has, which I mean, Jalen Brown should be able to cook, but that hasn't been the case whatsoever. Tatum's doing everything. He's running the offense. He's giving it to guys on the short roll. He's getting hockey assists. He's getting assists in general. Tatum has been doing everything offensively. Jalen Brown needs to show up, bottom line. The one big concern I have going forward, the two big concerns are, is Jalen going to get started? And the coach, like, I don't know how anybody right now in their right mind could not be concerned with the coach right now based on everything we've seen throughout this postseason run. Like, we all had question marks during the regular season, but I think we all felt like, all right, let's see what happens when we get to the postseason. I always thought, okay, maybe this is going to be a problem. The timeouts at times have been an issue. I mean, you think about the one at the end of the game against Philly. Like, you see that your guys aren't going. You need to call a timeout. Like, we've talked about this throughout the season, and you thought it could be a concern, and it's a concern. But I went through the resume for a reason. That He shouldn't be the head coach of the Celtics right now. I know they were put in a real unique situation, obviously, because the Eme thing. But right now, you tell me, is he overwhelmed? The way that he's handling the media the decisions he's making, how can you say that Joe Mazzulla is not overwhelmed by the moment right now? He looks like he's not ready for it. All right, if you want to leave us a voicemail after game three on Sunday or before game three, if you want to talk about the Red Sox, Rafael Devers, of course, hit two home runs against the Padres as we're recording late on Friday night, which is nice to see. They win six to one. James Paxton pitched well again. Nice to see the Red Sox winning. That's a good thing. The number is 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. You can email us at offthepike at gmail.com as well. All right, before we go, let's bring in our producer of Off the Pike, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, I noticed you got the Patriots sweatshirt on. For those of you that can't see us, of course, you got the Patriots. You don't have any Celtics gear on right now. I just wanted to check in on your well-being, man, because you're up late with me. Well, I guess you're not up that late, but you're up relatively late right now. How are you doing, man? You all right? Well, I do have to say, I was wearing a Paul Pierce jersey the entire game and ah. threw, it, threw it off in disgust afterwards. But uh, I'm hanging on by a thread. One thread, I would say. This is about the lowest point in the last since we played the Warriors last year. This feels like a, like a perfect storm between the bad coaching and your star players are kind of getting outplayed. I mean, Butler and Tatum maybe cancel each other out, but I'd say Bam has been decidedly better than Jalen, which is not a good combination. 
Yeah, so, okay, bigger concern, because I gave you my concerns about this. Bigger concern going forward, Joe Missoula or Jalen Brown? Well, I'd say the bigger concern is Joe Missoula, but I think in terms of what's fixable, it's Jalen Brown. Like, it's to me, it's a lost cause of Joe Missoula. The only way this Celtics team's going to win is just by <laughs> out-talenting the other teams. Just, we have a better team, we have a worse coach, but, you know, the guys who play on the, the court are what decides at the end of the day, so... If Jalen Brown can step it up and Tatum, hopefully we can just like skate past having a bad coach, which is usually not a recipe for success, but it's the only thing I can think of for what's going to work. What do you think would happen if it's like all of a sudden game three, Brad Stevens is coaching the team. <laughs> like <laughs> It crossed my mind. Remember how mad people were like with Brad at the end? Like everybody thought, oh, Brad's not getting through the team. How all good that we had it, man. Yeah. People were really mad about that. I wonder what the reaction would be if Brad Stevens is like, you know what, Joe, you can stay around, but I'm gonna I, I, look. I'm this is completely irresponsible of me. I'm not saying this is actually gonna happen. Okay, I'm just saying, like, imagine what the reaction would be if Brad Stevens took over. Like, Brad would be a king if he actually. The crowd took over. would go nuts. Oh my god, that would be unbelievable. Hey, at least they're going to Miami though. They can't win at the Garden. That was another point. I forgot I forgot to respond to that from one of the calls. I don't know what the hell's going on at the Garden. Bruins losing game seven there. And then you get this situation with the Celtics, man. Every other team is undefeated. I know. You think you turned it around after game seven against the Sixers. Everything was electric. And then they just lay two eggs in a row. Great. Yeah. And now you gotta win four or five. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna win game three. I really do. The game four is going to be the question. Can they win back-to-back games in Miami? That's the question. Because then you get it back to a three-game series. And I know I'm acting like, oh, you're already got, you're going to win these two games based on the way they play. But I do think they'll win game three. I mean, I thought they were going to win game two. I, I was talking to our producer, uh, Steve Cerruti, about this, actually. And he made a good point. He's like, well, you're not playing the 76ers anymore. You're playing the Heat. You know, they bring it. And basically... This DNA that we think this team has this year, oh, with their backs against the wall, they'll come through. It's like they played the Hawks and the Sixers who just quit on their team when they're down 10 points. And they basically haven't played a gamer team like this this year. It's not like the Bucks from last year or even the Heat from last year. So I like to think you're right, but I just can't believe they lost tonight. This was a game they basically had to win. I would Me say neither, the pressure man. was on them. It's embarrassing. This team is incredibly infuriating. They really are. Really are. You know what the good news, though? I alluded to this. Rafi, two home runs off lefties tonight. Let's go. I know. Do you see the first one he hit? It was like at his ankles. <laughs> 425. <laughs> 425 feet. So that's the good news. Rafael Devers hits two home runs. James Paxson pitches well again. He's great. Like, it's a revelation for the Red Sox. The unfortunate news is the Celtics lose. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Uh, we'll be back Sunday, so... Try to get yourself ready. Have a nice little off day on Saturday and be ready to go on Sunday, all right, man? Oh, my gosh. Let's hope what ha- they win. <laughs> no doubt about that. All right. If you want to leave us a voicemail, that number again, 617-396-7172. You can also email us at offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan, who you just heard from, and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast. And we'll talk to you guys after game three.